Welcome to the Illinois Soy Podcast. Enjoy. I'm speaking with CCA Soy Envoy Laura Christensen. Laura is also an assistant professor of water quality in the Department of Crop Sciences at the University of Illinois. Now, Dr. Christensen, today we're going to focus on bioreactors. For those who may not know, can you just start off with an explanation of what a bioreactor is? The simplest way to think about a wood chip bioreactor or denitrifying bioreactor is that it's a trench filled with wood chips through which you route your tile drainage. Now, inside the trench, there's good bacteria that are native bacteria that live in soil all around us. Um, And these bacteria come into the trench and they colonize the wood chips or live on the wood chips. And as the tile drainage water floats by these wood chips and these good bacteria that are living inside the trench, these bacteria are able to convert nitrate in the tile drainage to non-harmful nitrogen gas. And do these bacteria have to be introduced to the bioreactor, or do they pop up naturally? That's one of my favorite parts about this bioreactor technology is that these bacteria live everywhere in soils all over the world, and we've never had to seed or inoculate a bioreactor with these bacteria. They really come in naturally. So we've covered what happens inside the bioreactor. Taking a step back, can you go over how the water is filtered into the bioreactors and how they're implemented in the fields? In a field, a bioreactor would typically fit either at the edge of the field, if there's a grass buffer area at the edge of the field, maybe near where the tile outlets into a drainage ditch or a stream, Um, or a bioreactor could fit between two fields if you have maybe a grassy area, uh, specifically in terms of the drainage system or the tile drainage system. There's a couple parts to a bioreactor. When you have drainage coming from a field, you first route the drainage into a inflow control structure, which does two things. One, it routes a portion of the drainage water into the bioreactor, but then it also has a pipe that bypasses the bioreactor. And so that during periods of the year where you have a lot of drainage water occurring, you know that you're not going to back drainage water up in your field because you have that bypass pipe. So this inflow control structure um, allows bypass and it routes water into the bioreactor. Once the water's in the bioreactor, the little bacteria do their job, water moves down the length of the bioreactor, and then at the end of the bioreactor, there's a second control structure, which holds water inside the bioreactor long enough for those little bacteria to do their job. So there's those two control structures, which allow us to essentially control how water moves into the bioreactor and allows us to control how long the water needs to stay inside the bioreactor. And of course, nowadays, with everyone paying attention to the hypoxia region in the Gulf of Mexico, there are different farming practices being looked at for their potential to keep nutrients in the fields and out of the waterways. Yep. Um, One thing to note is that bioreactors are a pretty new practice compared to some other practices we've been talking about for a while, like cover crops or wetlands or no-till. But we do have numbers to convey how effective bioreactors are. In Illinois, based on research in this state, we've assessed bioreactors to be about 25% effective at keeping nitrate from moving downstream. Or in other words, 
a bioreactor will remove about 25% of the annual load of nitrate leaving a given field, so about a quarter. Um, in other states, for example, Iowa, they assess bioreactors to be 43% effective, and in Minnesota, um, they've assessed bioreactors to be about 13%. So there is some variation across the region, but again, this is a new practice, and so over time, I expect those numbers to be refined a little bit, and I hope that those numbers come up a little bit as we learn how to design bioreactors better to take more nitrate out of drainage. Now, we've touched on a lot of the functionality and positive sides to bioreactors. Clearly, they can be implemented to help play a role in reducing the hypoxia region in the Gulf of Mexico. But are there downsides that you can think of to having growers install bioreactors? The first thing, the biggest thing to consider is that there are no silver bullets. For cleaning up water, for cleaning up tile drainage, for taking nitrogen out of tile drainage, there really are no silver bullets. Uh, There's a couple things, a couple maybe downsides or things that folks should be aware of. First of all, when you start your bioreactor, start running water through your bioreactor, the first couple days or weeks, the water coming out will be very brown or tea-colored. And so that's no surprise because when you start running water through fresh wood chips, that water coming out initially will have some organic acids and have some tannins just coming from the wood chips. Now that decreases over time, and over time the water becomes clear coming out. Uh, But that's something that folks should be aware of, that initially the water will be kind of tea-colored, and that'll dissipate over time. Another concern is that sometimes the bacteria, if they're cold or if the water's flowing too fast, then rather than turning the nitrate into harmless nitrogen gas, sometimes as a a natural byproduct of this process, they can convert the nitrate to nitrous oxide. Now, nitrous oxide is a greenhouse gas. So folks are concerned, well, we don't want to be turning a water pollutant into an air pollutant. But over the past couple years with research, we've really been able to show that these bioreactors actually work very efficiently for turning the nitrate into harmless nitrogen gas. And so we know that this nitrous oxide, even though we were concerned about it a couple years ago, it's really a very small part of what these bacteria produce. And so it's really not a concern. And so that's a good example of research addressing a very relevant question that people were concerned about and really kind of solving that problem. All right, very good information to know. And of course, another thing that might be a point of concern for those looking into installing bioreactors would be cost and longevity. Can you touch on those two points? Oh, those are great questions. And those are the number one and number two questions that I get when when I'm talking with farmers or landowners or other engineers. Um, cost is fairly simple. You know, it's really a, a upfront one-time cost of about eight to twelve thousand dollars to put a bioreactor in here in the Midwest. In all the states, there's cost share available or incentive payments available through the NRCS, typically the Equip program, and that generally runs about half of the cost of the installation. One thing about bioreactors in terms of cost is that the cost really is almost 100% upfront. Whereas with other practices, things that you're doing in-field annually, you know, those are costs that you have to pay every year. But with a bioreactor, you can really be one and done with the cost for about 10 years. 
And so that also gets to your second question about longevity. We estimate the wood chips would last roughly 10 years. Now, some folks are saying seven, some folks are saying 15, and so 10 years is kind of a general time frame. But over time, as these bacteria do their job and consume the carbon or eat the carbon in the wood chips, uh, the wood chips, of course, will subside gradually over time. And so um, once you're at the end of your kind of 10-year lifetime, you would excavate those wood chips out, probably field apply them or land apply them, and then fill with new wood chips. Now, are there is there anything else that you would like to touch on before we go here today? You know, I think the, the most important thing with all of this water quality work that I do, that I love to do, is really that key message of no one practice will be suitable for every acre, but really try to find um, the practice that's going to work for you because every acre does need at least one practice. Very well said. And if people are interested in learning more on bioreactors, do you have anywhere you recommend they visit? Any websites? Any specific literature? Yep, there's some good extension literature. If you Google um, Google Woodchip Bioreactor, that's a great place to start. Uh, but if you're really interested in moving forward, I encourage you to visit your local NRCS office. They have some good design standards um, to help talk people through the whole process. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Laura. We very much so appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Illinois Soybean Checkoff. For more useful information about growing soybeans, visit illsoyadvisor.com. That's illsoyadvisor.com.